Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Is there anyone who likes a double standard? No, probably not. But we are flawed creatures. We all have our biases. But the hope is that when those biases are revealed and we are challenged by them, that we take a deep look inside and we make adjustments accordingly. I read a post the other day. It asked the question, when did you first find out that life wasn't fair? When we say that life is not fair, that usually means that we're not getting what we want. It has little to do with actual fairness. But I got to tell you that I'm really, really struggling with the double standard that I see being played out in our state and our nation today. I'm frustrated that we are not able to hold worship. I'm frustrated that we've got people in our in our uh, fellowship who are sitting out on the lawn listening uh, because the state has prohibited them from coming indoors. I'm struggling with the fact that our nation and our uh, governor has decided what is essential and what is not essential. And, And I think the inconsistencies and the double standards are ridiculous. Evidently, worship is not essential. In, in place, live, come together according to appropriate social distancing, uh, the, keeping all the regulations uh, that they have laid down for opening so that we're six feet apart, everybody is masked, who's in uh, uh, refraining from singing, all those kinds of things. That's not essential. Worship is not essential. But protesting, protesting, that is essential. Protesting is okay because uh, uh, that, is a, uh, that is an expression of their uh, First Amendment rights. And uh, when that is challenged, uh, I'm, I'm stunned by the response. Well, well that's an essential service because it's, it's a righteous cause. That's a righteous cause. And yet worshiping is not considered to be a righteous cause. We have uh, encouraged you to uh, write to the Board of Supervisors and to write to to the governor uh, explaining that uh, this double standard is inappropriate and that we want our right back to worship. We want them to lift these ridiculous bans. And we've made it very, very easy for you. If you go to the website, I mean, the first place, there's a, you can click here to, uh, to email uh, Supervisor Fletcher. You click here to email uh, Governor Newsom and tell them, you know what, with, contra- with contact tracing, we know where the outbreaks are. Uh, sanction those. Don't throw the baby out with the bath. Don't shut down the churches. Don't shut down the economy. Let's not have this double standard. Please, let us get back to life. States aren't the only ones who are sometimes accused of having a double standard. Sometimes God is accused of having a double standard. 
We find ourselves in the book of Romans. This is the year for Romans. We're working our way through. And oh, by the way, I want to thank Pastor John for uh, being up here the last couple of Sundays. Jody and I had a, uh, a great road trip. We went, uh, we went up to Park City, Utah, spent some time with the Haladdins. Some of you remember the Haladdin family. And then we went over to, uh, to Wyoming and uh, spent some time with uh, 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 Jim and Alice uh, Jacobson. We went on a, a three-and-a-half-hour uh, ATV ride. My wife says, this is a once-in-a-lifetime uh, opportunity because you are never going to get me on one of these things again. So uh, 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 Pastor John was so, uh, uh, was so appreciative that I left him such easy passages to uh, deal with. Uh, in this uh, in this section of the book of Romans that we call the parenthetical chapters of Romans nine ten and eleven, uh, trying to figure out what God's plan is with the Jews. Does God have a, a double standard? Does He have one covenant with the Jews and another covenant with the Gentiles? How, how does this work? If uh, if God of the New Testament is the same as the God of the Old Testament, uh, how does that dovetail together? Uh, if Jesus is in fact the Messiah that has been promised by Isaiah and by the prophets, uh, if, if Jesus is a fulfillment of even the promise that God gave to, uh, to Abraham at the very beginning when, when God called Abraham in the 12th chapter of, of, uh, of the book of Genesis and said, through you all the nations, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. Why was there this, this division within, within Judaism? Why, why did not people recognize Jesus uh, as, as the Messiah? Why do we have this division that, that, uh, that, that is uh, evident even, even today? Even today, what is going on? Does God have a double standard when it comes to dealing with the Jews versus dealing with the Gentiles. Well, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the uh, 10th chapter, actually the 9th chapter. Uh, we're going to finish up the 9th chapter of Romans here and move into the 10th chapter. Uh, so I'll be starting with uh, Romans 9, verse, uh, verse 30, that, uh, uh, where Paul is, Paul is struggling uh, through these verses. And remember, remember Paul's heart is breaking. He is in anguish. He even goes to the point of saying, I would sacrifice my life if the, if the, if the Jewish people would, would believe and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I so appreciated uh, Pastor John's words last week that when it, when it comes to God and trying to uh, uh, understand all these things and, and, and pull these threads together into a cohesive whole, that at the end of the day, it is about grace, not race. Because, of course, in Jesus Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no male or female. There is no free or slave. In Christ Jesus, we are all one. And so then Paul asks this question in the ninth chapter, verse 30. Well, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, have, have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Well, why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, 
but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. You see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The law had become the heart of Judaism. The law was given to them. And when we ask what law was given to them, yes, there were 613 laws that were given to uh, to Israel when they were at the foot of the mountain before they went into the promised land. Those 613 laws were divided into three categories. They were divided into a moral law, a civil law, and, and a ceremonial law. They had just spent 400 years in slavery. Uh, uh, living under Roman authority, under, uh, excuse me, under Egyptian authority, Egyptian law. And now, after 400 years, they were going to be their own people. God needed to give them some guidelines. God needed to give them a framework. And within those guidelines and within that framework, if they held true, they would flourish. God's desire for us is that we would flourish. And so he gives them this law. 613 laws, and they spend the next several hundred years trying and failing to adhere to this law. The books of Moses, five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the last book of, uh, of the five books of Moses, Deuteronomy, uh, uh, Deutero means twice, Uh, Namas is law. It's the second giving of the law. Uh, Moses is wrapping up his time with Israel. He's getting ready to hand the reins over to Joshua. It will be Joshua who will lead them into the promised land, not Moses. And, 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 And as I was reading in the 11th chapter of Deuteronomy, I came across this in Deuteronomy 11, verse 13 and following. So, So, if you faithfully obey God's commands I am giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain and your new wine. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle. You will be able to eat and be satisfied. Be careful Moses goes on to say, be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut down the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will will yield no produce so that you will soon perish from the good land that the Lord is giving you. And then a little bit later on, he says, if you are careful to observe these commands that I am giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out these nations before you and will dispose nations larger and stronger than than you. I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from the commands that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. Do you hear what's going on in that? We don't like to think about this 
And why not? We don't, what we don't like to think about is the fact that God's laws to the Jews, to Israel, were conditional. They were conditional. If you do this, I will bless you. If you do that, I will curse you. Well, how dare God be conditional? How dare God set up, an un, set up some kind of a double standard? And we say that because we are steeped in the understanding that God's love is unconditional. And yet, very clearly, God sets forth a standard that he sets forth a law and a requirement that is very much conditional. If you do this, this is not the first time. Before God gave them even one single law, before he gave them even one single law, he extended grace to them and bringing them out of slavery, out of Egypt, to the foot of the promised, the foot of the mountain, uh, on, the, on the precipice of the promised land. And he said to them, I have brought you out of here. I have bore you on my wings. If you will be my people, I will be your God. And I will create of you a nation of priests. You see, it's conditional from the very start. As God brings them out of Israel, out of, out of Egypt, he says, you're free to go. You owe me nothing if you want to stay and be a covenant people with me. I think we can do some pretty cool things. So immediately from the get-go, right out of the start, we see that God's laws for the nation of Israel were conditional. If you do this, you will succeed. Not only will you succeed, you will flourish. And put that in the back of your mind. Following God's law, following God's plan, living inside of that perimeter, that ethic, we flourish. When we step outside of it, we suffer. So what do we look at when we look at the rest of the history of, uh, of, the, of the nation of Israel down through the years, down throughout the Old Testament? What do they do? They start well and they finish poorly over and over again. Saul started well, he ended poorly. David started well, he ended poorly. Solomon started well. He ended poorly. After, after Solomon, uh, his son Rehoboam came, and the nation was split in two. How many good kings did the northern kingdom have? Not one. Not one. And eventually, God eliminated the northern kingdom. The lost tribes of Israel were the ten tribes that, that followed Jeroboam uh, north when he split away from Solomon's son. Why? Because they were disobedient. They did not follow the covenant and the laws of the Lord their God, and they went after other gods. The same thing ultimately happened in the southern kingdom. God's relationship with the Jews was conditional. And it was conditioned upon them following the law. And did they follow the law? You know what? In starts and spurts, there were seasons of great faithfulness and there were seasons of great unfaithfulness. What do you think we can learn from that? That inasmuch as it depends upon us to be faithful, we will fail every single time. We will fail, and that's what happened with the Jews. They failed every single time. Every single time, they were the ones that finally capitulated, fell down on their knees, and cried out to God, and God heard them. But that was because of God's grace. That was because of God's mercy. It wasn't because the Jews finally figured it out and they had everything together. No, that was never the issue. But they were devoted. Oh my gosh, they were devoted to those laws on those, on those times when they were being faithful. So we go back. We go back now to, uh, uh, to Romans. 
and, and he says, I, he says, why haven't they received this righteousness? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They worked at it as if it depended upon them, not recognizing that the law was constructed for them, providing them a framework within which they would flourish. They began to see the law as an end in and of itself, thinking almost that rather than the law being created for them, that they were created for the law. And this played out in the, in the earthly ministry of Jesus as well. Remember, Jesus had his challenges with people over the Sabbath. And you remember Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was created for you. God wants you to take one day off and he wants you to rest. You know, prior to, prior to uh, uh, the introduction of, of Judaism and the, and, the, and the commandments of God, people worked. They worked seven days a week. In fact, when, when, when Judaism introduced this idea of taking a day off, people called them lazy. You, you, you want to take a day off because you're lazy. No, no, no. We're taking a day off because our Lord tells us to take a day off. He tells us to take Sabbath. But that was for us. We were not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for us that we might flourish. The same thing is true with the law. We were not created for the law. The law was created for us that we might thrive within that environment. Why did they not attain this righteousness? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as it were by works. And they stumbled over the stumbling stone. I lay in Zion a stone that causes men and women to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. The references to the stone, the foundational stone, which the New, the New Testament people picked up on, followers of Jesus picked up on, that Jesus is that stone. He is the rock of our salvation. He is the foundation upon which we build our faith. That was the stone that they stumbled on. It was the stone of God's grace. It was the stone of God's mercy. It was a stone of God's compassion, but they couldn't see it because they were focusing on the law. My brothers, my sisters, he writes in verse 10, my heart's desire and prayer for God, a prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Their zeal is not based on knowledge. At this point, God had hoped that people would recognize that we cannot do it in and of our own strength. So just at the right time, in fact, we read that, uh, we read that earlier in, in the book of Romans, at just the right time, while we were yet powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time, God provides the ultimate day of atonement. At just the right time, God fulfills the law. Remember, Jesus said, I did not come to, to eliminate the law, but to fulfill it. At just the right time. But their zeal is not based on the knowledge of what God is, is doing. Their zeal was based on a false premise that adherence to the law was the key to a right relationship with God. Even though they have an entire history that shows that that never worked for them. It just never worked for them. 
Since they did not know, verse 3 tells us, since they did not know that the righteousness that comes from God and the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, the, the, the interpretation of that, uh, of, of that verse right there, verse 4, is, is a little bit tricky. And, and there, 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 were, there were whole sects of, of heresy that developed out of that, uh, out of that verse 4. Christ is the end of the law. No more law. It says right there, Christ is the end of the law. We have ultimate freedom in Christ. There's no law. We don't have to worry about the law anymore. We can live however we want to live. It doesn't matter anymore. Christ is the end of the law. No, 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 no. That's not the intent there. The intent there is that Christ fulfilled the law. In Christ is the end of the law as a means of achieving righteousness in a relationship with God. Because you see, at just the right time, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That ultimate day of atonement that brings about the possibility of a righteousness that comes by faith. Remember, at the beginning of the book of Romans, Paul is longing for people to yield to a faithfulness that stems from faith, an obedience that comes from faith, to live, to live out our lives. And how do we live out our lives? Within that framework, within that framework of God's law. Which law? All, three, all 613? No. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he systematically broke down that barrier, which is the ceremonial law, and he capitulated the civil law to the, to the local authorities. We are to be submissive to the local authorities, which is why I'm preaching to a relatively empty sanctuary this morning with people out on the lawn and you folk at home. We want to be law-abiding citizens. Now, thank God we live in a time and in a place where we can and we have the opportunity to redress our government. And I encourage you to do that. I've done it. I encourage you to do it as well. Jesus said that. But what Jesus also did is he carried forward the moral law, the law of Christ. Why? Because it's the, it's, it's, it's the owner's manual, if you will. You, you, you know, you, you go out and buy a car and, 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 and you, you, you operate that vehicle according to the owner's manual if you want it to survive. And the cars today, if you take care of them and uh, change the oil, put, uh, put the right fuel in it, they'll, they'll run for 100,000 miles. But, and I used this illustration once before. If your gas tank gets down to about half full, you pull into uh, uh, beside your house and pull out a garden hose and you fill up the tank, you can fill up that tank with water. Guess what? The car will run a little bit for a little while, but pretty soon it's going to start coughing and chucking and, uh, and pretty soon it's just going to stop. Why? Because the car doesn't run on water. Can't do it. Runs on fuel. As long as you pay attention. You don't have to. You, you, you know what? You can, you're, you're free to put... Uh, do you remember uh, when I was a kid, uh, one, of the, one of the sitcoms on television was a, uh, with uh, one of the Van Dyke brothers. It was called My Mother the Car. And, and, and uh, bad theology, the guy's mother is reincarnated as a, as a, uh, a Model T. And, uh, uh, and, and one day he fills up the gas tank with tomato juice because his mother liked tomato juice. You know, isn't that a wonderful thing? And, um, yeah, I mean, you can do that kind of stuff, but you're going to suffer the consequences for it. The same thing is true within God's law. If you operate outside of God's law, you're going to suffer the consequences for it. You know what? God still loves you. He still loves you, and he grieves. He grieves 
because you have chosen the harder road. But that doesn't null, uh, nullify the laws of God and the fact that with those laws, we can thrive. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Who believes? Who believes what? Who believes in Jesus as the Messiah, as the atonement, as the one who paid the penalty for our sins, as the one who rose in victory from the grave, as the one who ascended into the heavens, as the one who will return to ultimately reign here on earth. Moses describes uh, in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the depth, that, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near to you, and it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. Now, before we go on to that word that he's proclaiming, what is that whole little thing there about going up and bringing Christ down or bringing him up? Again, it comes back to the understanding that the Jews had that the power, that the authority rested in them. It's my responsibility through my actions to bring Christ down. It's my responsibility, it's my challenge through, through, through obedience to bring Christ up. It never was, never has been, and it never will be. And that's part of the challenge that we're facing in the world today. As we talk about power, and it is, an, it is an important conversation, but be sure that you understand the conversations that are taking place in the world today. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, there are at least three, maybe more, but there are at least three different conversations that are being, that are being woven together into one rope. And, and, and if we allow that to persist, then, then we, will, we are doomed to destruction. We need to unravel that rope and recognize that there is a legitimate conversation that needs to take place about abuse of authority. That is separate. That is a separate conversation than the conversation about, about racism. Is there, is there a conversation that needs to take place about racism? Yes. Is the United States a systemically racist country? That's up for debate. But I will tell you this, that every country, every country is racist. Every single country is racist. Does that make it right? No. There's two things. There's two things that we need to remember. Two things, and I'm going to remind you of this uh, before I finish today. Two things. Every single person, every single person is created in the image of God. Every single person. None are excluded. That's number one. And number two, every single person needs a Savior. Every single person needs a Savior. You remember those two things, and you'll do well in this conversation. There is a conversation about abuse of authority. There is a conversation about, about race. But don't forget that there is, a, there is a conversation and a struggle for power that is going on. And when you, you've heard, a, I'm sure you've heard a lot about, uh, about critical theory, probably more than you ever wanted to know. Uh, I, will, uh, I will link uh, an article on critical theory from a, from a Christian point of view. There are some things that are worthwhile in that, and there are some things that are contrary to our Christian faith. And so it's just, it'll be a kind of a primer for you, and it'll give you places to go. Uh, but this issue of power today is, is, is grounded in a materialist worldview that views power as a limited commodity. 
and there have been those who have had power and have, have, have abused and oppressed others. And you know what? That is always wrong. That is always wrong. But the answer is not to uh, uh, put down those who were previously in power and allow those who have been oppressed to become the oppressors. That is equally wrong. That is a false view of power, but it is the world's view, the materialist view of power, that power is a limited commodity. And your chance, your opportunity, uh, your goal is to get 51% of that power in any given relationship. Obstensibly, so that you no longer can be exploited, abused, or mistreated. The problem is that when you gain power, you tend to become the one who abuses, mistreats, and manipulates. That's opposed to God's view of power. God's view of power is unlimited. When Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, he is talking about an empowerment that is unlimited to allow people to flourish and become who God created them to be. That's the gift that we have as believers, to empower others. If we find ourselves at any time falling into a materialist understanding of power where we are abusing or, or, or manipulating people, then we've missed the boat. We have missed the boat. So Paul goes on here to talk about the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. This, that is the word that we are proclaiming to you. That, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, period. Let me read that again. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As, this, as the scriptures say, anyone, 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 who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. There is no difference between the male and the female. There is no difference between the slave and the free. All have dignity and essential worth in the, in the eyes of God. <clears throat> the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You look up that word everyone in the Greek, and what does it mean? It means everyone. That's right. This is the most exclusively inclusive invitation that has ever been given to humanity. You know, there's a lot of talk about inclusion these days. And there's a lot of talk about exclusivity. The reality is Jesus is exclusive. There is no other name under heaven by which people may be saved. None. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of the promises that have been given. It's exclusive. But it is an invitation that is extended to absolutely everyone. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter today how you live. It does not matter what you did yesterday. God is not interested in what you did yesterday. He's not interested in what you did this morning. He's interested in who you are right now. And he's interested in helping you become everything he created you to be. And you can only do that if you understand that a right relationship with God 
is available only through the person of Jesus Christ and the abundant life that is available for those who lean into Jesus and live within that framework of God's moral law that we might thrive and experience the very best of what God has for us. So what about the Jews? Well, we still have the rest of, uh, uh, of chapter 10 and chapter 11 to go through. Paul's going to get there. But the reality is they are God's covenant people. And that is never going to change. And God's heart is always toward those whose heart is toward him. And that is never going to change. But also remember that each and every person, Jew, Greek, black, white, green, yellow, male, female, doesn't matter where you are on the socioeconomic ladder, you are created in the image of God. And we need to recognize one another as created in the image of God. For those of us who have recognized it a little sooner than others, for those of us who've recognized also that we need a Savior, well, God bless you, and I'm thankful for that. But there's a whole world out there that is struggling right now with the three things that Jesus dealt with. Gender politics, socioeconomic struggles, and male and female issues. Free, slave, male, female, Jew, Gentile. You want to know a solution to the problems that we are facing today? It's right here. It's the gospel. Jesus is the answer that the world is dying to hear. Our challenge, again, is to remember everybody's created in the image of God and that absolutely everybody needs a Savior. And that Savior has been provided through Jesus Christ. God, come in the flesh to show us the face of God, to teach us how to live toward others who died on the cross for our sins, who rose from the grave to demonstrate the power that he has to forgive, to restore, and to heal, and ascended into heaven, waiting for that day when he will return. And I long for him to return. Oh, do I long for him to return. But I don't want to miss the opportunity that God is giving to us in these challenging times to be faithful to the gospel message, to proclaim to anyone who has ears to hear that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Pray with me. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Indeed, these are challenging times. I have to tell you, I much uh, prefer preaching uh, from the narrative sections of Scripture. Uh, I, I love to read the stories of the lives of the people of faith and, uh, and extrapolate from those uh, stories lessons that we can apply in, in our lives. Uh, that, that, to me, is, is great fun. But we are encouraged to understand the whole counsel of God. And if we're going to understand the whole counsel of God, then we need to wrestle with books like the book of Romans, uh, which uh, helps us to cultivate uh, theological thinking. Uh, we need to understand these doctrines. We need to understand these biblical truths of what the gospel is, because if we do not understand them, it will be difficult for us to live into them. 
And if we are not living into them, then no one will ever ask us for a reason of the hope that is within us. It all comes full circle. We want the world to thrive. And it will only thrive if we recognize who the creator of this world is and live according to his design. Each and every one of us created in the image of God. Each and every one of us in need of a savior. Each and every one of us who believes in Jesus Christ will be saved. Let us live into those truths for the glory of God now and forevermore.